G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast Round 12 Review and uh, a special uh, edition this week obviously with the Queen's Birthday Monday big freeze game between Collingwood and Melbourne going on. We we do it properly here, we wait until all games have actually been played to review the round as is just and proper as I say, very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Fine? It's an honour to be speaking to the big cheese at the, from the G on the day of the big freeze at the G. You're the big cheese. Why am I the big cheese? Well, in this group you are. You were, <laughs> it's pretty. You were, you were there in broadcasting, weren't you? Pretty small cheese then. Um, uh, well. Oh, look, you know. Big, so be it. The big freeze is, a, it's, a, it's built such massive momentum. Um, this was year five of it and a, a fantastic day again and uh, 74 thousand and a bit the crowd so fantastic turnout and obviously raises um, great amounts of money for research into motor neurone disease and Neil Danaher once again is to be commended on all his efforts and uh, it was great to see I got because uh, I was working for 3AW I got uh, up close to see the sliders doing their thing and um tell you what Channel 7 don't mind their security around events like that it was uh, I felt like I was queuing up to interview Pentagon officials or something. Uh, you might just take yourselves a little too seriously sometimes, uh, Channel 7. But uh, anyway, it was a, a great cause and a great day and uh, a great occasion. And uh, actually, I've got to tell you, Fanny, because I know you're going to give our, our magnificent sponsors a plug. I will. I just happened to put on my uh, windsheeter, my Nick Spartels and Hardwick Bilco windsheeter today. Not deliberately, it was just like the last clean item of clothing I had because I've been a bit slack on that front. And uh, who should I interview pre-game? None other than Scott Pendlebury, one of uh, Nick's great clients. And the first thing he said to me was, great windsheeter. So, uh, you're in. <laughs> I did. Does he think, does he think you're uh, getting a home renovation by Nick Bartels? I don't know. Well, I think he thought I wanted to move in with him or something, but uh, no, he was suitably impressed, so uh, it did the job. And uh, Nick Bartels, great supporter of footyology, as is... Andrew's Hamburgers. I'm sure that Scott would have been no less impressed had you worn an Andrew's, Andrew's Hamburgers t-shirt. In fact, it would have made him a little hungry pre-game. Those burgers are... Look, burgers are great, I reckon, at two times of the year they peak. I can eat a burger any time, but on a beautiful sunny summer's day when you've come home from the beach, mm. a burger and a milkshake are great. Mm. And also, on a cold winter's night, absolutely, a burger, maybe a couple of steamed dimmies, mm. some, friends, some beautiful chips. Oh, don't forget Andrew's chips. They are quality. Yeah. Quality chips. A whole lot of beauty. A chip off the old block. 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park, 80 years, and often voted... Always voted, actually, in the top 10 
not only in Melbourne, in Australia. I'm Famous s- burgers. I'm salivating already. It's been Good several night. hours since I ate. And uh, whilst we're doing some housekeeping, of course, we are having a weekly competition. And the prize at the moment is an Andrews hamburger T-shirt and cap. They're well worth having. They're limited edition. And you just tell us who you would put down the slide on the big freeze at the G. So we saw a lot of footballers go down. If you want to pick a footballer and put him in costume, you can do that as well. Doesn't have to be a footballer, though. Can be anybody. Put anybody down the slide, a little rationale, and you're in the running for the prize. Just don't do that gag about holding someone's head under because uh, we've been there, that. done that, yeah. and uh, it didn't go down very well. Yeah. Who did you give the three votes to for the best Costume down the slide? Oh, I think Nick Rewalt as People Freddie Mercury was, was pretty hard to beat. In fact, it was such a good costume, I honestly didn't realise who it was for a good minute. Le- Liam Pickin was very good as well as the Joker. The Joker. Uh, Jimmy Bartell was interesting. I couldn't work out what Jimmy was. Neil De- he was Neil... <laughs> oh, playing seven, Gary. Yeah, 17-year-old Neil we, we were giving Jimmy a bit of stick because apparently he had some thermals underneath that jumper, so he cheated a bit. And uh, we had Judge Judd. He was good. Yeah, he was good. He was good. That's um, Judge Dredd, is it? Uh, no, well, I think he does. He, he on his particular radio station. That's a bit of a gag involving him. Yep. Um, uh, who else was there? Bianca Chatfield. I think she was a Little Mermaid. Yeah, there was uh, Jackson. Liz Jackson. What was not, she? Not Liz. Oh, wasn't Liz Jackson? No, who's <laughs> oh, Lauren Jackson? Lauren Jackson. The Liz basketball. Jackson. She was half boomer. Liz Jackson was a great journalist. Yeah. No longer with us. She was a boomer in, in, in sort of in gold spandex. Yes, yes. And uh, Boomer Harvey, the Oz kicker, because he's small. Yeah. Oh. And, and he wore a helmet. And not a bad concept. Bobby Murphy as the tin of Melbourne bitter going into the esky. Ah, yes. Very good. Very um, uh, man of the people-ish. Yes. As you'd expect from Bob. Now, always a great cause and uh, good to watch again. But like Finey says... Good competition, good prizes, so get into it. You've got uh, 24 to 48 hours. Uh, if you want to enter, go on the footyology.com.au website, find the email, and shoot us off an email with your suggestion, and our research team will get on the case. And that is our research team of me and finally us. All right, I think it's time we talked about some actual footy. On Footyology... Wrap around. All right, let's go. Round 12. Just the six games spread over four days. I don't know about this format, and we may talk about this at length uh, in a subsequent episode, but tonight we just want to talk about what actually happened in the games. Novel approach, I know, but that's what we're going to do. So it kicked off on Friday night at the MCG with a much-anticipated clash finding between the Cats, the all-conquering Cats, just with one loss for the season, two games clear of the field, taking on Richmond, who, uh, of course, needed to bounce back after a sobering defeat at the hands of North Melbourne the previous week. Didn't end well for the Tigers, it's fair to say, as the following scoreline would indicate. 16 goals, 8, 104. Massive 67-point win. Over the hapless Tigers, five goals, seven, 37. The goals, four to Tomahawk, three to Myers, two to Ablett and Radaglia. All singles for the Tigers. And for the Cats, just a cast of the usual stars. Dangerfield, Duncan, Ablett, Tim Kelly, just every week. Is there ever a week when he's not in their best? Brian Myers and Tomahawk um, having another sensational season is Tomahawk. 
and they were just awesome finding. Like, I, I, may, I may have jumped a little bit early. Richmond kicked the first two goals. In fact, they kept the Cats goalless in the first quarter. And I thought their first quarter was terrific. I thought their pressure was great and the Cats looked a bit harried. And I thought, oh, here we go. Richmond's ramped up the pressure game. And I tweeted as such and sat back and nodded approvingly. And then I was made to look like an idiot by the fact that the Cats promptly slammed on 14 of the next 15 goals on their way to a massive win. They just cranked it up. And the Tigers, and, you know, look, in fairness to Richmond, they are missing some key players. But you could really see um, the hole left by those players in this game because they just didn't have the cattle to compete. No, no excuses for Richmond in this game. This was very much Richmond planning not who but how. And at quarter time, the script was being followed. The script that saw Geelong outed from the finals in Richmond's premiership year. The script that has seen Richmond dominate Geelong of recent times, especially... Small correction. They weren't outed from the finals. They beat them in a qualifier. They did beat them, but it was was the end of them, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. It was a real... It was the arrival of Richmond and the death of Geelong. Ex-Geelong player, Deeth, by the way. Rex Deeth. Yeah, better for Geelong West. Anywho, at quarter time, and Richmond would have been very comfortable with the scoreboard, and Geelong would have had a sense of deja vu except for one thing. It's a completely different Geelong team. It is a Geelong team with so much more versatility, so much more offensive power at their behest, and... They, for the next three quarters, as you pointed out, as everybody knows, did something that I didn't think they were capable of, not because I underestimate them, because I am bullish about them, but because I didn't think anybody could do that to Richmond, no matter who they put on the field. Mm. And that was, they had Richmond chasing tail, they had Richmond looking... They separated Richmond. That's something that doesn't normally happen with the Tigers. There was a spare man, a spare man. And Dangerfield was everywhere, you know, back into a midfield role. Kelly, brilliant, decisive. How well is Tom Hawkins playing? It's not just the fact he's kicked four, five weeks in a row. It's what he does for the players around him. Yeah, no, he's, he's incredibly selfless. Then you've got a back line with some no-name players that are doing particularly well. You know, they've got, uh, they've got a defence that is sort of marshalled by Tom Stewart, but they're, never, they're, they're not seem to be left wanting. Blitzavs was a very good match-up on Lynch. You know, that they had their match-ups correct, and maybe Rewalt would have stretched them a little bit, but all their tools play quite well on the ground. Well, speaking of tools, I felt one of the things with Richmond was he really saw the rawness of a couple of their tools, i.e. Uh, Garthwaite and yeah, well, uh, Bolter. Garthwaite got found out a bit, didn't he? Yeah. Look, when Richmond played Essendon at the MCG, the rains came, and I think everybody was very quickly reminded of how good Richmond is at the coalface. Essendon were deficient in that department, and it was almost a fait accompli, the greasier the ball got. Well, Richmond had their greasy conditions on Friday night, and Geelong just pulverised them in that division. Look, I've got to say, Gary Ablett, Every time he was booed, I remember, because he didn't get the ball as often maybe as Dangerfield, but he was so clean, wasn't he? 
He's got such good hands in those conditions. All their stars fired. It was great to watch. I, I felt they matched them for strength, and they just tore them to pieces on the outside, and they and and for class really. And you know, I think even when they won the flag, that Richmond side I think was being underestimated for sheer talent. You know, there are a number of people that tended to still look at them as a, you know, a not a scrappy team, but a team that what toughed its way to a premiership. And I thought I didn't felt that did them justice. However, this current. Um, incarnation of the Tigers couldn't hold a candle to this version of the Cats for skill and it, it really showed and um, I think they've got some issues I mean look against another side maybe but uh, this is and I will talk about this in hot or not I think the Cats are boy are they looking awesome and very very tough to beat for the flag so look it was a really convincing win Richmond don't forget Richmond in their flag year lost three in a row too, I think, at one stage, albeit three very narrowly. Um, so they're in a bit more bother than they were then, but it's a good test for them. I think we've talked about their depth. Let's let's see whether they can uh, turn things around over the next couple of weeks. For the first time in three years, the Richmond's no-name small forwards look like no-name small forwards. Mm. They, they were outpaced by bigger, stronger bodies and not able to compete and keep the ball in the forward line. Yeah, no, I agree. What, not a great night for them and uh, a really good uh, underlining, I think, of the Cats' premiership credentials. Okay, that's enough for Friday night. Let's go to Saturday. And the first of the uh, Troika of games on the... I was going to say Sabbath, that's Sunday. On the Saturday was Carlton Brisbane at Marvel Stadium and uh, the old new coach bounce. It happened again, finally. David T comes in for his first game in charge of this Carlton outfit. And mind you, it didn't look like it was going to happen for quite some time. Oh, it was going great early in the second quarter, no goals. Well, <laughs> I, well, we both tipped Brisbane and I reckon we were both sitting back thinking, oh, geez, okay, this hasn't made much difference. Uh, I wonder what Brendan Bolton was thinking. He might have felt a little bit vindicated at that stage too. But it turned around, well, quarter time was 3-3 three, three to 3 behinds. Three goals a difference at half time, And then the Blues just owned the second half. In the finish, 15-point victors, 11-12, 78, defeating Brisbane, 9-9-63. Four goals to the magnificent Patrick Cripps. What a game. Three goals to Charlie Curnow, two to Gibbons. Uh, the only multiple goal kicker for Brisbane, McStay with two. Patrick Cripps, Ed Kerno, Jacob Wiedering's having a terrific season. Ditto Sam Walsh. Um, he was. That That's his best game. Well, he's he's got he's got a fair old CV for a debut year. Um, Charlie Kerno looked a lot more sprightly and dangerous. Zach Fisher pretty good. Gibbons lively. For Brisbane, uh, Neil picked up his requisite. Swag well, I of thought, touches. I thought Kerno beat him. Well, you know, in terms of Brisbane's best, he was probably still among their best, I reckon. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Rich, McLuggage, Robinson, Hodge, but none of them really as influential as we've seen. I, and it's quite hard to believe how quickly it turned around. I mean, uh, Brisbane were... It was exactly six goals. I might have even been 37 points, but... Um, yeah, but, but I will say this. There were six goals to naught, but Cullen had plenty of ball in their forward line. Mm. It's, it was incredibly frustrating, I imagine, as the new coach and Carlton supporters to look up at the scoreboard when Brisbane went six goal, kicked their sixth goal early in that second quarter. 
to see that they hadn't scored a goal yet because on the balance of play, I don't think that that really reflected the game. That being said, Carlton had a habit, have had a habit of turning fair starts into worse finishes. So I sort of thought, they're playing not bad. What happens when they start playing badly? Well, they, they it got could have a, been a disaster, but I was wrong. They got they got a sniff too, and just looking at the crowd, pretty impressive crowd, I reckon thirty two thousand two hundred eleven for yes. a side that's won one game. Um, I, I guess they were just all intrigued to see what would happen under the new coach, and in terms of how different they were, well, they did seem to play with a bit more freedom, I think, and maybe played a little bit more on instinct, and they seemed to move the ball a bit more quickly. Did you feel that? No, I think Brisbane were sometimes getting out to a good lead, especially when the game really on balance didn't mirror the scoreboard. Brisbane just thought that this was going to be a walk in the park. Now, look, it became very obvious, and we've seen in recent weeks, that if you stop Patrick Cripps, it's very hard for Carlton to get a winning score on the board. Now, nobody put their hand up. Nobody ran with and bodied, and in fact, he should have been double-teamed at stoppages, but he wasn't. And I think Brisbane really thought that this thing was won, and before they knew it, it was lost. Yeah, I thought Harris Andrews played well. He he was, yeah, no, But I didn't have much of a say. But that's a good point on Cripps, and particularly given, um, you know, we'd seen Matt DeBoer, obviously, well, his two quietest performances of the season, one against GWS where Matt DeBoer kept him to, I think, 12, and then Dylan Clark, a second gamer last week, managed to restrict him to 11, and if that wasn't evidence enough that, you know, this guy needs to be stopped, and... um, and he hit the scoreboard hard too. He's their leading goal kicker with four. And you could just see, I must say, you know, regardless of what you think about particular sides, there is something really exciting about seeing a team that's down and out and is finds itself, you know, a fair way behind in a game and then gets a sniff and everyone senses, hang on a sec, you know, and, and the momentum shifts and there's something quite exciting about watching that. And it, it, it was really good to watch. And you couldn't help but feel uh, pretty happy for the Blues, uh, you know, in, in that last quarter. And let's let's face it, they're not a bland team. I mean, even though they've had only won one game, their second win came by agency of an absolute star in Patrick Cripps, a star of the future in Charlie Curnow. I mean, there are some highlight reels there. And when they all come together and win a game of football, they're actually pretty exciting to watch. It's not like, you know, they kicked eight goals to seven and the goal kickers were guys you've never heard of. Cripps kicked four, Kuno kicked three, and it was eminently watchable. In fact, my mate McGovern hit the front for them. I, mm. I don't think he had a brilliant game, but... That was a great mark and goal for them to hit the front. Do you limp off at any stage? Oh, no, they were in front. All right, so they've won two from 12 now. How many wins do you think they can clock up from the final 10 games? Two more. Yeah, I might go out in a limb. I might go three. Um, do they play us in a second time? Because they're always a chance against the Bombers. Uh, disappointing for Brisbane. Um, reality check for them. And they've had a couple this year, but uh, I wouldn't be hitting the panic button just yet. Look, look, they've had a really heartbreaking loss against Fremantle. And now this, the ladder is starting to look f- to them 
you know, what could have been, what might have been. They're really going to have to steal themselves for the rest of the season and not look in the and not look back in the rear vision mirror. All right, Brisbane, one of the two Queensland sides. Let's talk about the other one. Well, they talk about off-Broadway games, Finey, and uh, fair to say this one wasn't just off-Broadway. It was tucked away in a dark alley in a little tin shack, uh, metaphorically speaking, of course. I speak of the Gold Coast-North Melbourne game, which ended in a comfortable enough 27-point win to the Kangaroos, 14-15-99, defeating the Suns 11-6, 72 um, couple of multiple goal kick or a few multiple goal kickers for them. Zeeble playing his 200th game. Two goals to Jack. Two to Thomas. Two to Turner. Two to Wood. Two to Brown. Only the one multiple goal kicker for the Gold Coast. That was King with two. Um, the senior men stood up for the Roos. Zeeble, Cunnington, uh, Pollock turning in a reasonable season for them. Um, and a few lesser lights as well. Turner, Taron Thomas showed some pretty exciting signs, and Trent Dumont, um, decent game from him. Uh, the Roos, you could say, just about had it won by quarter time, uh, slashing seven goal first quarter to one. After that, it was a bit of a hold the other side at arm's length. That's what it felt like to me. How do you see it? It was over at quarter time. Actually, can I reword that sentence? Yes, you can. I wish it was over at quarter time. <laughs> Why? Because that game was played in the first quarter. And North Melbourne, really, Gold Coast never threatened North Melbourne. And North Melbourne never really put much effort into the rest of the game. Except for the fact that they, at one point, I think in the third quarter, at the start of the second half, maybe into the last quarter, they went inside their forward 50, 27 times for two goals. It's mm, mm, not a great return. No, it wasn't a great return, but it was sort of all they needed to do. This game, Taron Thomas really was electric early, and that was, he's a very exciting footballer. He's a great pickup. Mm. As North Melbourne, hopefully for North Melbourne, improve and make an assault on the finals, it's going to be a player like Taron Thomas that will win you a game, maybe a final because he is that sort of player. Zebel much better in the centre. You know, he had 30 touches, kicked a couple of goals, almost got killed by Jack Martin. Stupid play by Jack Martin coming in, sort of third man to a dead ball contest near the boundary, and really, you know, it was fortunate that Zebel was able to continue. So the Roos have won three in a row now. Are you serious? you really think they're a finals chance? No, no, not, oh. not this year. I'm saying not this season. I'm just saying that, Hopefully their time will come for their supporters. I, I don't prefer them over any other team. But I'm saying he's the sort of player that has game changer, game winner written all over him. I heard an interesting comment today, actually, at the MCG, and it was from someone who hears some very good stuff, and he was saying that uh, people at Geelong rated North Melbourne as hard a team to play this year as any other side they've come up against. Well, we, we know that that was a game that, North Melbourne's fortunes on the field seemed to start to turn, mm. that they played more North Melbourne-like. Now, interestingly, see, people will be comparing, obviously, Reese Shaw to David Teague, but these are two very different circumstances. Yeah. This is not a sacked coach. So when you look back at that game and realise that the Brad Scott was in charge, 
we're looking at a continuation of that. And when you compare their game against Geelong to their game against Gold Coast, you'd have to say the game against Geelong was a better performance. Yeah, I mean, there's every chance Brad Scott might now be sitting there with three wins no, he would be. under his belt. I, I, I imagine he would be. Mm. I really do. That's not to say that Reece Shaw has seamlessly stepped in to a program that wasn't going badly, and that requires some skill as well. They seem they do seem a bit more direct. It's an easy thing to say. In fact, when does a, a coach take over mid-season and he side wins and you don't hear someone say they seemed either to play with more freedom or a bit more direct? But rather than it just be a cliche, I can understand how it happens because it feels like even if players were emotionally wedded to the previous coach, the pressure that builds around both players and coach and club, um, it, it's almost like a you know a pressure valve is released, and that is actually what allows them to play with greater freedom. Which is why this Brad Scott situation is a little bit different to most, because nobody felt that there was that huge pressure on him or he was under any threat at North Melbourne. The one thing it does do, it, it, it does clean your slate, doesn't it? So players that might feel that they are being pigeonholed or that they are required to do something by the previous coach that becomes sort of a, a, a hobby horse for that coach, feel that sense of freedom with a new coach to express themselves almost like going to a new club. Yeah. It's, it's, for a week. It, well, it's becoming an interesting year for the Roos, isn't it? I mean, look, I felt like they were good enough to make the eight. And uh, the last few weeks have sort of reaffirmed that for me. But and remember, Higgins barely played in this game. True. Did, did his AC joint, which True. is a worry for Sean, because that's been a problem before. Yeah, just a, a quick word on Gold Coast. I mean, they've been um, looking increasingly floggable yeah. um, over the last few weeks. So and we, they were. But do we give them some points for at least keeping the deficit to under five goals? No, not really. Oh, because You should, shouldn't you? Oh, those 27 inside 50s, uh, North Melbourne would either be... Reshaw will either be angry about that or say, you know what, we move on, we learn from it. But that could have been the same flogging. Seven goals to one in the first quarter. And Gold Coast's first quarter has been their best quarter by a mile. Mm. Mm. So how would you rather lose a game? Sort of by 24 points, but know that at quarter time you can't win or be in it at halftime and blown away? Yeah, uh, phony comeback sort of stuff. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. No, not me. All right, that's enough for Metricon Stadium. Uh, Let's head to Adelaide. Well, this was a uh, much-touted clash, and uh, it was a pretty good game, actually. Pretty pretty tight, you know, not necessarily uh, from an aesthetic point of view, but it was certainly a good contest. I actually was there, got to see it firsthand. My, my, I won't dwell on this, but my first look at the revamped Adelaide Oval, and it was terrific, um, fantastic the way they've preserved the old, a lot of the old architecture and the feel of the place. And uh, unlike a lot of new stadiums, it actually has some character because you know you can distinguish one end from the other. There's a tree and an old scoreboard, and um, it it looks great and it's very functional and the facilities are terrific and even down to the very helpful staff when I was you know I got there early of course trying to find my way to the media area and I thought I was going to get my own personal escort for a a minute so uh, well done everyone associated with Adelaide terrific venue the hype is in fully justified and this game 
uh, ended up being a very good evening for the Crows. Probably, I would argue, probably their best performance of the season thus far. Finishing 21-point victors over GWS, 12 goals, 10, 82, defeating the Giants, 9-7, 61. The goals, 3 to Josh Jenkins, 2 to Tex Walker, 2 to Sloan, 2 to Eddie Betts, and the last one of those, an Eddie special. How many of them has he kicked in his career? For GWS, 2 to Himmelberg, 2 to Kelly. They were the only multiples. Um I thought, I thought the Crows dominated the majority of this game. The worry was uh, the few moments GWS were able to at least break even in the middle. Um, I thought they looked a little more explosive on the outside. But Adelaide, to their credit, were able to keep that in check. Best players for the Crows, Crouch Brothers, both really important. Ellis Yolman, who's having a pretty good season for them and uh, perhaps a name you wouldn't have considered to be driving um, their midfield, but I think he's been good for them. Miller, a pretty good off halfback, um, and uh, your boy, Riley O'Brien, in the ruck, who I thought just about uh, won that ruck duel against Big Mummy. He's getting some thrash. Well, he shouldn't have lost to O'Brien. In but Mumford. Yeah. yeah. They had a, a win over Melbourne, of course, a big win, but he got thrashed by Max Gorn. For all his dangerous play and imposing nature, I think Mummy's struggling a lot. Mm. Struggling to get around the ground, struggling to keep up with his opponent. Well, I think they've got a big issue there. Well, he's had a year off, you know, and perhaps it's not that surprising, you know. No wonder wonder he's trying to maim his opponent. (laughs) (laughs) And leaving his teeth in his mouth guard. Um, no, look, it was uh, it was uh, probably the, the toughest Crows performance I've seen this year, and uh, they won those midfield battles, battles and full credit to them. There was a, a period there in the third quarter when GWS really took it to them. It was four goals to two in the third quarter. They struggled up forward, though. Jeremy Cameron was pretty well held. Harry Himmelberg, Himmelberg when he got off the leash, that's when they looked dangerous, and he kicked a couple of goals in relatively quick succession. Um, they were always sort of making up ground, though. Did actually, I mean, when I say making up ground, did actually hit the front early in the last quarter, so uh, looked a chance. But this is when the Crows were at their most impressive. They closed out the game brilliantly, really. Um, Greenwood bobbed up for a, a big grab and uh, restored the lead for them. That Eddie Magic, of course, Tex Walker, took a big grab and, and kicked a good <laughs> captain's goal. He said with a surprising <laughs> well, it hasn't, intonation. Well, it hasn't been habitual this season, let's be honest. Um, Josh Jenkins, good for them. I mean, they just look more potent up forward. And uh, and this also, incidentally, despite the uh, last second, not just last minute, last second withdrawal of Tom Lynch. So it was a pretty good effort from the Crows. And... Um, I've been iffy about them. I've wondered whether they're ever going to be capable of returning to those heights of 2017. And to be fair, they're still a fair way off that. But I thought they got their hard game um, down pat in this one. And and in the end, thoroughly deserved a win. And it's a good scalp. GWS really in that second tier of teams, uh, along with Collingwood and and West Coast after Geelong. So uh, a good notch on the Crows' belt. Look, with no, when you don't have Toby Green, when there's sort of limited avenues to goal, there's a player who I think should have stepped up and he was almost invisible. Talk to me about Brett Deledia. 
Uh, not a lot to be said. No, no, you're right. You're right. Um, do you do you expect too much out of him? I mean, is he capable of giving that much anymore? Maybe not, but I, I just think he should be good for a, an important goal or two. Oh, you know, to be fair, I'm uh, not to be fair. To be frank, I wonder if the way the Giants have developed as a side has moved a bit past having someone like Deledio. Yeah. You know, so when we had Griffin and Deledio and these guys, um, you know, it was no, sort of right. think, to, to prop up the young guys. But the, the, the journeyman, not journeyman, the um, role player types like, you know, Sam Reid. I'm and, saying that they've learnt better lessons from Sam Reid and Heath Shaw, obviously. Yeah, so yeah, it could be a, a bit of a man without a mission, really. Uh, how do you feel about GWS? I mean, I... A few people in recent weeks have said, you know, they're as good as any team in it. No, they're not. Yeah, I don't feel like they are no, either. No, they're not. I think they had a good crack on the weekend and lost to a team that is fighting for a spot in the eight. They're just not... Um, to me, they're sort of symptomatic of most sides now in that they can have, you know, a few decent weeks, but no one, aside from the Cats at the moment, seems able to sustain a great performance level for longer than about three, four weeks. And it seems as though they're, they're, they're in a dangerous position of short circuit Jeremy Cameron and the scores sort of dry up a bit. I know mm. Finlayson's been handy, but it now looks like the better teams know who to stop to stop GWS. There's only really two or three major players to stop. Kelly will be one, Cameron's another, mm. and maybe, you know, Lockie Whitfield, when he plays, of course, is very important. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because he was a big loss. And um, had they had Whitfield, or, or, you know, I felt like they would have been able to exploit Adelaide a bit more on the outside. But they really, when they're winning the ball, they really seemed to lack some of that outside run. And his absence had a fair bit to do with that. So, what it, quickly, how do you uh, how do you rate the Crows? Are they a chance yeah. to? I mean, they're obviously a chance to play finals. Are they a chance to do damage in finals? No, not until I see some functionality with their tall forwards. I tend to agree. Uh, All right, that's enough on that game. Let's go to the SCG. Uh, Well, this was an appetising match-up as well. Of course, West Coast uh, don't see a lot of SCG. When they see it, they tend not to like it very much. And uh, we, unfortunately, unlike us, finally, we didn't read enough into history. And we both went for West Coast, and we were wrong. And in the end, it was a very convincing victory for the Swans. Clearly their best performance of the season. 18 goals, 8. Gee, that looks like a a stark scoreline now with so much inaccuracy going around. It it was important. 18-8, 116, 45-point victors over the Eagles, 10-11-71. 10 goals combined between Tom Papley and Buddy Franklin. 13 when you include Reid. I mean, what a good forward line. It was. Uh, They combined beautifully. Uh, Singles, McCartan, Rose, Hewitt, Sinclair and Parker. Three goals to Josh Kennedy all early. Two to Ryan and Rioli. And that was about all she wrote in terms of multiples. My favourite goal, Rioli's of the year, by the way. Um, That handball by Redden. I'm trying to remember it. He handballed to Rioli sort of as a run-through, yeah, and Redden just turned around and walked back to the centre. He didn't even look whether Rioli kicked oh, yeah. it or whether he got it. It was the most beautiful sort of run, pre-planned piece <clears throat> of 
magnificence you'll ever see. It's well, beautiful. It's classy, but uh, unfortunately, unless they decide to challenge the MRO and are successful, he's missing for the next week. He and Nathan Vardy, as a matter of fact, which given There's they play plus. Essendon in the next game, I'm terribly upset about. Um, but look, this was a great performance from the Swans. Uh, they led at quarter time and they just maintained that lead thereafter. Five goals to one in the third quarter was a decisive break, but uh, all hands on deck. I mean, their best, obviously, the forward combination. Luke Parker, he's been outstanding over the last five or six weeks, I reckon. George Hewitt, again. Um, Reed up forward, and Isaac Heaney. Um, they, they're like, uh, oh, no, I'll get to that. I don't want, don't want to fire my shots too early, but uh, this is a Sydney we just didn't see in the first seven or eight weeks of the season. What difference does a menacing Franklin make, though? Yeah. And he started, he was menacing from about, you know, either the time you're just shuffling in your seats or you've gone to get a pie and you've come back and the siren's gone. Did I miss anything? Yes. The menacing return of Lance Franklin. Yeah, you know, the, the other feather in their cap of this game, of course, was that they played uh, well over a half with uh, one fit player on the bench. Yeah, yeah. look, they lost O'Ridden and to concussion, then Thurlow to concussion, and McVeigh with that problematic thigh of his. Mm. This was a an excellent effort by a team that may be preparing to put eggs on the faces of all of us who wrote them off again. Again? Is it possible? Two years, they... two years after no. they last did it. Could <laughs> we possibly see them in the finals? Well, they're two games out. Um, you know, there's a fair queue ahead of them, but... I mean, this was the case in 2017. Um, how far would they go if they got there? Well, 2017, they might win a final and then lose a second week. Yeah. I mean, it, it, Getting there would be full of merit, though. It ca- yeah, it would. It, it catches up with you at some stage. But it, it certainly, the way they're going makes you reassess how you see even their long-term future, doesn't it? How about the arrival of Hewitt as a footballer? In- yeah, George. Yeah. Yeah, it sort of took seven. It took seven years and then a week. What do you mean? Well, for seven years he sort of built up to. He's been there for seven years, hasn't he? Yeah, seven years. You weren't quite sure what he did, whether he was good, whether he wasn't good, whether mm. he was in the team, not in the team. I used to get him, and then bang. I used to get him confused with uh, Dean Towers a bit. Yes, he was a bit Towersish. He, he was a bit <laughs> inconsequential. Yeah, in that manner, in that way. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's been terrific for them, and um, the importance game set Max Hewitt. The importance, the importance of a key forward and a good little man at his feet. You know, yeah. great combination, and they seem to, they seem to. I mean, I haven't seen the numbers on goal assists one for the other, but they seem to thrive in each other's company. Finally, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. So, uh, how bad a loss is this for the Eagles? I not, must, not terrible because I reckon they stopped trying about. Ten minutes into the third quarter. They've got a nasty tendency to do that, though, haven't they? So they've had uh, four losses this year, and they've all been, I think, pretty sure they've all been around the 40-point plus. Correct, because they really—they seem not to care. They sort of worked out that this isn't going to happen for us tonight. And yeah. I, I wouldn't want to be the team that plays them next uh, well, after it's a Essendon. break. It's Essendon. Essendon. I know who it is. <laughs> well, <laughs> In Perth. Essendon won over there last year. Can be done. Um it's funny though, like some teams will drop a game and, and alarm bells ring. I reckon with all of these West Coast losses this year, there's been more of a tendency to go, oh, just one of those days. Yep. 
Uh, is there a possibility we're we're being too laissez-faire about their bad days? Well, you rate them. I do. More I rate highly them than I, I do. I do. I rate them very highly. But they do need to put themselves. They're they're, they're not going to do it because they need to finish top two. It was the top two top <clears> two <throat> finish gives them home passage to the grand final. Yep. We know they now like playing at the MCG. No worries there. Mm. But without that home passage, I fear they won't make it. Not fear. I'll say they won't make it. And I don't think this is the right way to go about the business. Yes. Percentage is important in these matters. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, as you said, good time to get the buy. Obviously, coming off a, a bad loss, they can take stock, maybe uh, get a few injured blokes back. Um, we're, we're being told Matt Nui not long after the buy. So. Big Big in because they can get rid of two logs. Uh, well, you obviously mean Vardy's one of them. Oh, Hickey. Hickey. I mean, he's one of yours, fine. Vardy, but look, he's been fine. Netanui will come in and show what sort of player he is by replacing two Ruckman. I guarantee you there won't be a second Ruckman play to him. All right, well. Or uh, maybe not. Actually, West Coast is the one team that could do it. Uh, yep, yep. Well, they've proved people wrong before. Wouldn't be the first time. All right, uh, well played, the Swans. And uh, round 12 wrapped up today, uh, Monday evening we're talking here, with the big freeze, the traditional Queen's Birthday Monday clash between the Pies and the Demons. How are we tipping coming into this game? Uh, really, really badly. First week we've done the we same We chose tips. the same this week, didn't yeah, we? we? So we, we were... One from five. <laughs> oh, great. So we've ended up with two. Yeah. Uh, terrific. Um, this one I felt a lot more confident about right from the start. In fact, <laughs> Of course you did. Well, I've got to say it was, um, you know, look, it is a great day, don't get me wrong, but this uh, this game had a pretty predictable plot really, didn't it? And it was, you know, Collingwood getting on top, um, as they've done a bit of late, sort of, you know, holding an opponent at bay. Uh, the Demons had a, you know, the odd moment here or there where they threatened to get their act together, but they just, their conversion is just so woeful. Um, but and it, Collingwood make it very difficult. Look, Melbourne were winning the stoppages, and, but their backline, and they get so well organised, Collingwood, it's very hard to kick goals against well, them. Well, they, yeah, true. They were well organised, but the, um, the those Melbourne forward entries, it was like they were specialising in turning it over. And, and if you want to, you know, two studies in conversion or lack thereof, uh, Exhibit A is the final scoreline. Collingwood, 15 goals, 8, 98. Defeated Melbourne, seven goals, 15, 57. 23 scores to 22, and the winning side has got home by 41 points. Three goals each to Jordan Degoe and Jaden Stevenson and Will Hoskin Elliott. That multi-pronged forward set up, very effective and efficient again. Uh, Sam Wiedemann, the only multiple goal kicker for the Demons. Um, ah, it's interesting, this best I'm looking at, it's got steel side bottom. As uh, Collingwood's best, don't necessarily agree with that. I and, thought he was great. And he was good, but uh, it was interesting. We interviewed him after the game. Actually, he was a big fan of my moustache, Fanny. So he should be. Well, he was. He, he congratulated me on my moustache, and I congratulated him on his newly shorn head. Yeah. Big day for Steele. I said, uh, well, you, you've shaved down again. He said, yeah, no, that's it. I've officially given up on having hair, and uh, I am now completely bald. But it seemed to give him a sort of meaner... Wiener Edge, anyway, after we both patted each other on the back about our respective appearances, I said uh, off air, well, what do you think of your game? He said, yeah, I thought 
I thought I'd work my way into it. Um, he had some interesting comments, actually, about playing out in the wing. But uh, I thought he played really well, and I really liked the fact that the game was congested and nobody was taking the game by the scruff of the neck. And that goal he kicked mm. was basically him saying, right, that's it, I'm going to get the ball, kick the goal and win the game. This is shitty, mate. Yeah, got a beautiful curl on it too, but didn't he just, it? He attacked the ball, it took on a couple of players, everybody else was dithering around. The, th- the thing he agreed, though, um, is that it's now, you know, even last year or the last couple of years, you know, if Pendlebury and Sidebottom weren't among your best, um, among Collingwood's best, you'd think there's a fair chance they got into a spot of bother. Well, Sidebottom was. It was a fairly quiet day for Pendles, but, you know, Trelaw was really good. Uh, uh, Braden Sire came back into the he's side. Good. He's good. Yeah. Now, he's going to be targeted by other teams. Because yeah, you know why? People are- because he's good. Uh, yeah, also because I was down the boundary. He was warming up right in front of me. And at one stage, I nearly leaned over and asked him. So he's got his hands on the fence. He had three fingernails painted black with nail polish. So I asked Earl after the game, I said, is this a thing? And he said, oh, is a different sort of cat. Yeah, cool. A special breed of cat, as Chuck Connors used to say. Good on him. Anyway, he came back first game since the grand final and certainly did his role. Uh, Dugowie... The usual brilliant sort of Dagoe flashes. I mean, um, Stevenson was Stevenson. great, but he didn't kick brilliantly. No, but he uh, he was certainly a dangerous presence. And I thought their backline were the stars. I was about to. Uh, how good a pick up has Jordan Roughhead been for him? <laughs> for nothing. Yeah. For nicks. Why on earth did the dogs let Jordan Roughhead go? Seriously, if anyone can well, explain to me I, I, why, there's been and Dalhouse and and other players. I mean, there there are questions about their post premiership mentality and yeah. the requirements of the coach and not everybody look he continued to rotate just quickly on beverage he continued to make spots hard to retain and to be honest when you're a premiership player you don't think that you've got to continually fight for your spot in a team and i think guys like some guys responded to it and some guys didn't yeah no fair call fair call um, anyway, Bulldogs' loss is certainly Collingwood's gain, yep. um, and yeah, their defence is magnificent, isn't it? Jeremy Howe's a ripper. Yep, not not just his marking, but his timing and his understanding of when to mark and when to punch. And again, Darcy Moore very good. Uh, yeah, I thought Moore was terrific today, and and just on Howe, I mean, yes, he did play defence in Melbourne when he was there, but he he never looked like a guy who could be the sort of you know quarterback of a defence, no, did he? But you need to see that in a player. Yeah. You know, that's that's what a coaching staff and a coach is best. Nowadays, coaches make very few moves during the games, do they? Uh, not a lot, no. So really, I think their main job is identifying the best makeup of the team and creating stars out of Jeremy Howe when his career could have sort of meandered oh, as, yeah. a, as a pop gun forward. Now, I agree with you entirely on that. 95% of coaching now is away from the... The day. box on coach yeah. on, on match day. Absolutely, this is, this is the key to see Ruffhead and to identify what role he can play to get the best out of Jack Crisp. All of these things are being done at Collingwood, and now the the parts are in place, aren't so, they? Yeah. So how do we assess? How, how about Max Gordon? Though I thought he was great. Uh, he was, uh, and Grundy was good too. It was a good duel, actually. You know who I thought played really well today? Who? I don't know whether his numbers match up, but the only time Melbourne looked dangerous. Mm was when 
Petrarca yep. one hard ball yep. and created opportunities. No, no, I agree. I, I think he was. I def- thought he was I, very. Good. I think he was definitely in their best. And also, well, we're seeing we're uh, dishing out credits to Melbourne players. Pretty good first up from Stephen May too. I thought and Lever. Yeah, they, they seemed all right. Yeah. You know who wasn't as good? Who the remaining McDonald? Uh, yeah, he struggled off. most of the he year. He had one yeah. shot at goal, yeah. which was important, and that missed by a country. Um, got a shocking um, kick in the back, too. Who was that from? Um, just trying to remember. I think How? it was from a team. Yeah, yeah but he got a, another one from, from uh, oh, you, a You're teammate. talking about the mark. You reckon, it was, you reckon it was the right decision? Yeah, I do. I do. And Tim Lane agreed with me. And I know we'll be in the minority, but I just felt like that extension of the foot wasn't sort of in the natural act of marking. So you would have been the, you know, Billy Pickett when he took that famous mark, uh, that mark Which against. Which one? Well, the, there was a great photo of one from behind yeah. against South Melbourne, I think, a team that he would go and play for eventually. Uh, I remember one, one against of, St Kilda at Victoria yeah, Park. Yeah. No, there was one that was photographed beautifully. And you see the number 25 and the yeah. big mark. That was paid push in the back. Oh, was it? Yeah. One of them was taken off him for exactly the same thing. Sort of two movements, move yeah. the player out with his knee. Yeah, but you know, take that out of the game. What have you got? Yeah, well, I felt like the how one was a bit two movements anyway. I mean, it was all incidental. Yeah, in, especially in, the way McDonald kicks a goal. Um, so, what about Melbourne? Three and nine. Um, we we interviewed Angus Brayshaw post game. Very articulate guy, Angus Brayshaw. Yeah, really. he's, he's very articulate. Yeah, I, really I, impressive. I heard that interview. By the oh, way. did you? Yeah, very good. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he's a yeah, really impressive guy. He understands where the team is. Well, how frustrating is it for them to know that, by and large, they haven't had that many shockers. Like most most games have been like this. They've had the requisite amount of entries and oh, chances. They've got a dysfunctional forward line. But they but they can't kick. But That's the fo- bottom line. They can't but, kick. But look, Wiedemann is not really a target because he doesn't have confidence yet. In fact, he grew in confidence towards the end of the game. He did look like a target. Mm. Tom McDonald has to cannot play forward. The problem is they've got too many backmen. Frost got injured early, but they didn't need another tall backman anyhow. When you're playing Lever and May... No, why, they were too tall. Why would you play Frost, Lever and May? Yeah, no, I thought... You, I made that comment earlier in the call. They they look too tall. But here's the bottom line, though, Finey. You, you can get nail everything, but if you can't kick goals, their last five quarters of football now, they've kicked a combined eight goals, 23. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Because their entries... Are, look, there was a piece of play today that summed Melbourne up. It could have been maybe the goal of the year. They took the ball from in their own defensive 50, right to within 25 metres of goal, except for a terrible kick, I think, by Hannon, all by handballs. And they were just banging these wild handballs. Oliver involved, Petrarca involved, and it was all so quick. Yeah, it worked once, but of course it can't work. You can't go down the field handballing, you know, to players that have got guys on them a metre away. It was, there was no measured approach to getting into the 50. No, no, it's, uh, they've got a week off now to reassess, but uh, clearly finals, uh, absolutely no chance now at three and nine and uh, miserable follow-up from a side that was one win away from a grand final last year. Have you ever seen a sport of cheese rolling where they race down, they roll this giant cheese down I the have. hill? Melbourne looked like that to me today. Players falling downhill chasing the giant cheese. Mm. They just didn't seem to be composed. It wasn't the first analogy that came to mind, but uh, now you mention it, yes, I, I can understand that. All right, there is our wrap-up of all six games in round 12. Let's talk about the highs and the lows. 
on Footyology. Hot or not. All right, I'm going to kick us off with a hot. Uh, it's a pretty obvious one, to be honest, but they're hot. They deserve acclamation for that, and I speak, of course, of the Geelong Cats, as they are known when you read the AFL fixture for some bizarre marketing purpose. Uh, what a season they are having. Who would have expected it? I, I think it's fair to say not many. Uh, I had them, I think, in the lower reaches of the eight. I might have had them eighth. And I thought that's about where they are now. They're sort of good enough to be, you know, good enough to sneak into the finals, Not n- nowhere near good enough to win it. Well, we didn't count on an absolute rejuvenation of this side with some very, very shrewd recruiting. And hats off to their recruiting. I mean, we've seen them. Uh, deliver a whole generation of greatness and three premierships via the draft. And in recent years, their recruiting has focused far more around the trade table. And it's been terrific. And uh, no more so than the last off-season, which has delivered Gary Rowan, who has become pivotal to the mix of their forward line. Luke Dalhouse, um, that defensive pressure up forward, has been terrific for them. We've seen uh, fantastic um, wild card pick up almost in Tim Kelly's just been unbelievable for them. And their forward line, it actually was never a poor scoring forward line. If you have a look last few years, they've done all right for scores, but it was a bit one-dimensional. And all this sort of exciting ground-level talent seems to have really rejuvenated Tom Hawkins as well. And not that Hawkins has been terrible either, but he's he's back to that sort of all-Australian form. He's been a, a colossus for them up forward. Their defence is as steely as ever. Their midfield bats, I reckon, deeper than anyone else's. I mean, you can afford to hang Joel Seward out in a wing and play Gary Ablett as a permanent forward. They are two games clear of the next best side, and it's getting to a stage where I'm sort of thinking Geelong's biggest um, obstacle in terms of winning a premiership is themselves. You know, if they somehow get cocky or... Uh, you know, something goes pear-shaped because, to be honest, I, I think if everyone plays at their best, they are a little bit ahead of even the next best team in the competition. So not just a hot, a very hot, and it goes to the Cats. You're up finding. And if you've seen their fixture, they've got so many games still to play at GMHBA. They'll be able to rest those older players properly with a week off here or there. They are so well set. Well yep. said. Yep. My first hot goes to... Well, you know, the Sydney Swans had a champion in Paul Kelly, didn't they? A Brownlow medalist, an inspirational leader, and they he came from Wagga Wagga, and they said, you know, he comes from Wagga Wagga, the town's so good they named it twice. I don't know what town Alir Alir comes from, but he's so good they've named him twice. He He's a great player. He's a really good defender. Maybe much better at the SCG than anywhere else. He seems so comfortable with the dimensions of the back line at the SCG. He just... It must be different when you're at the game, but when you're actually not at the game and you're watching it on TV, he tends to come from off-screen. You're sort of watching pack form or players about to take a mark and then out of nowhere, maybe I need a bigger television, comes a leer, a leer. He's got great confidence in his ability to mark and he is to me now I really think he's sort of playing in all Australian form now whether he gets considered for that I don't know but I hope he plays the year out like he did on the weekend because he could be all Australian 
I'd, I'd like to see the numbers on intercept marks and possessions this season because he, he reads it beautifully, doesn't he? But he really does take he, – he, he ends attacks that look like they're goal-bound. Mm. I think that was part of West Coast's capitulation and surrender. It was like, well, what's the use? We've got a tall forward line, but we can't seem to get a result because Aaliyah really is there all the time. No, good call. He was terrific for them. And uh, continuing that theme, Finey, I'm actually going with three hots this week. I'm feeling unusually positive for me. Ooh. Well, until we get to the rant off. Uh, my second hot, um, as an extension of yours, goes to the entire Sydney Swans team. Uh, I thought it was a terrific... Terrific performance, um, which harked back to a, uh, a more pleasant time. Um, no, look, I, I didn't think they had a performance like that left in them. I, and I, I thought, you know, we did it again. I've written their obituary again and said they're gone, end of an era, blah, blah, blah. But even more definitively than two years ago when they lost the first six, because back then they had a stack of injuries and there were young guys they were playing and you were seeing at least that. I didn't feel like there was even that about it this year. They just looked stale and tired, and Josh Kennedy was feeling the pinch. Well, Josh Kennedy not even there at the moment, and they pulled out a performance like that. Um, Buddy, terrific. Tom Papley, terrific. George Hewitt has stepped up. But in big picture terms, I mean, the Sydney Swans, have we ever seen anything like it? They're like football's version of the Terminator. You just can't kill them off. You know, you, you pump another few rounds into them, and... They lie down there in a pool of blood and uh, or bloods, and uh, we we write the obituary, and then they they climb out of the coffin again. They've done it again. Um, what were they at their worst, lowest point this season? They were one and uh, six. So they were zero and six in two thousand seventeen. They were one and six this time, but I thought the defeats were of more consequence. Um, yes, they beat Essendon and. How good a win was that? I don't know. It looked a bit better the next week after they won down in Hobart against North Melbourne, which has been very difficult for away sides to win at. Only just lost to um, the Maggies, of course, by a bit over a kick. And, uh, you know, acquitted themselves reasonably well against the Cats down at the Cattery last week. And, and now this, easily their most complete performance of the year. But, you know, regardless of whether they end up making the eight or not, I just marvel at this club, uh, not just the team, but the club. They are just so resilient. Anytime there's uh, some uh, adverse circumstances, be it on or off field, they just, you know, sort of bite their tongue and, um, you know, get up and, and go again. Uh, they've just been remarkable now for two decades. And if you're old enough like we are to go back to, Oh, those shocking days of, you know, 92, 93 when they lost, what was it, 27 games in a row or whatever it was. Um, They are just incredible. And uh, even Hawthorne has had, you know, more downs than Sydney have over the last near on two decades. Just a remarkable footy club and hats off to them. Um, Any success that comes their way, they fully deserve. You say, has there been another example of this unkillable beast. I think Melbourne Storm, and there are parallels of course because they both clubs sometimes feel as though the rest of the football world um, are against them in the NRL that the northern teams just, you know, conspire against them with the lack of love from the NRL and Sydney sometimes feel out on a limb. So maybe that isolation and that us against them is part of their the psyche that has made them a great team or great teams. Yep, yeah, no, no, I think it's a very 
good analogy, that one. Okay. Uh, I'm going to keep the hots going with Jack Zebel. I've always enjoyed Jack Zebel as a footballer. Remember, he went through a period where his, um, his forceful approach to the game, launching himself into not tackles but bumping opponents with, with uh, his body airborne, caused a restructuring of how the match review panel looked at such matters and it sort of took him it took an essential part of his game out now he spent sort of three or three years two and a half years down forward i don't know why was it a suggestion that he couldn't keep up with the pace of the modern game i don't know you know at the same club he's captain andrew swallow i think andrew swallow was captain there at one point wasn't he yeah he was captain for a long time I'm saying that was his captain. He quickly was railroaded because he wasn't quick enough. And maybe there was a suggestion that North's lack of pace around the ball was Zebel's fault as well. But he's moved back in the midfield, played his 200th game on the weekend. He's playing as well as ever. He's a very good footballer, lovely bloke, and becomes a goal-kicking midfielder. They're rare. How, you saw how important Patrick Cripps was. So, well done playing hot football, 200 games, and I reckon we are going to see as good a football from Zebel in the next two to three years as we've seen so far. Yeah, no, good call. And he is, he's a terrific guy, Jack. So, uh, yeah, well done. Great. Uh, one of the more popular uh, blokes in the AFL and from observation. Can you believe, at this point in his career, not alphabetically, the last player at his club? No, he no. got he got Zerhard. He, uh, did how many Zeds are there in the AFL? Zarakas, any others? Zerk Thatcher, Zorko, Zorko, Zerk Thatcher could have two Zeds at uh, Essendon playing in the same. Yeah, team. well, he was emergency in round wow. one. Wasn't what about he? when North plays Essendon? Zerk, no Scrabble game there. <laughs> Not even the blanks will cover it. All right, uh, my final. Uh, yeah. You know, in Polish Scrabble, Zeds are worth one, and there's eighteen. <laughs> Uh, my final, I'm going triple hot, and uh, my final hot for this week, uh, and I touched on it in the intro, Adelaide Oval. Um, I finally got there finally, which uh, caused much mirth among several footy media people, but I'm, I'm not huge on going into state for work. I find it a bit of a, you know, it's all just a hassle, really, and uh, and this trip had its requisite Hassles, you know, like making sure you... How did they mock you when you arrived, your your fellows? Uh, no, it was Jimmy Bartell tonight, actually. he was, uh, Mind you, it was in response to me having a crack at him about something as well. But, um, yeah, I'm not a big one for travel unless it's on a holiday. So uh, at great considerable sacrifice, I went across to Adelaide Oval. No, look, it is a fantastic venue, and I've, I've heard all this, but... Um, it has the best of both worlds, you know, the new stands and, and the facilities and, you know, the food stalls and all those sorts of things look terrific. Um, the And I, I probably saw the best of it too in that members section. So you've got all that old architecture and a beautiful ground anyway, the Adelaide Oval, but they've sort of preserved all that. And it just blends in seamlessly with the new stuff. And then um, you know, just looking at the oval itself and the stands enveloping it, unlike every other redeveloped ground, it's not all homogenous. You know, one end is clearly distinguishable from the others, mainly because one end has a beautiful old scoreboard and, and a beautiful old tree. And it's, uh, you know, it, it, it looks terrific and it's got a great vibe about it. And there's little areas where the, the punters like to go and sort of congregate and, um Fantastic atmosphere and just, yeah, hats off to everyone responsible with that. I think it's one of the best 
redevelopments of a, if not the best redevelopment of a sporting uh, precinct I've seen. So, um, well done Adelaide, well done the South Australian government, and uh, I hope to get there again, Finey. My last my last time in at the Adelaide Oval was very memorable, but it was the old Adelaide Oval. I went to watch for Victoria South Australia. It was a very tight last day, and I had friends on both sides of the fence because Maxi Klinger, Michael Klinger, was playing for South Australia, and I'd played with. He'd come from my club. Yep. Um, n- n- you know, good friend of John. Well, you know, friends with John Hastings and Rob Quiney. Yep. It was a very tight game, and I was talking to Hasto on the boundary. He goes, "Get stuck into him. Get stuck into these bastards." Have a go at their captain when he comes out to bat. So Johan Botha comes out to bat, and he'd been on a run of low scores. And as he came out to bat, I said, is that a new bat you're carrying? Or No, actually, it's probably the one you started the season with, given you haven't hit the ball yet. And he went out second ball. And he looked at me as he was walking back, and it was the old race. Well, I can tell you he never used that bat again, because he smashed it against the upright of the race, and he ended up walking in just with the splice of the oh, very good. <laughs> and Chuck Berry was abusing me. Fine, he's stopping. He was coaching South yeah. Australia. Very good. It was good fun. Anyhow. I, I was there that day. Uh, Hansi Cronier put his uh, bat through the door of the dressing room yeah. uh, in 1997. Yes. Anyway, we digress. We digress. By the way, again. South Australia won that game. I think with the next Victorian, Tim Ludeman doing all the damage. Ah, yes. Okay. I'm not going to make it six hots. There's got to be a knot. And the knot hot for me is two Ruckman. I don't think it, it's working any, anymore. West Coast will point to last year's success and say that it can work, but I say it doesn't work. I don't think Vardy and Hickey are worth Nat Nui in total, to be honest. Um, have a look at some of the other failed duos this year. The supposed Gorn-Pruce experiment mm. hasn't really eventuated, has it? Uh, no. No, it hasn't. Um, how about English and Campbell at the Bulldogs? How did that go? Uh, not that well. No. Bell, Chambers and Clark, not great. Not great. People will say, well, Cox and Grundy, uh, Grundy, but I don't think Cox is a ruckman. I just think he's a very tall forward. Mm. In fact, I don't think he's great in the ruck at all. Mm. So I really believe it's one ruckman, and of course you see up the top of the ladder, like Geelong could play two ruckmen, but they're not tempted to do so. It's Stanley, and when he's injured it was Smith, or even Abbott. No, I think that's uh, Abbott. You said Abbott, and I thought of Paul Abbott, my, my former high school colleague and uh, dual Hawthorne Premiership I thought you player. would have thought of Tony Abbott and the one bright moment on a dark day that was election 2019. Oh, he's not a politician. I don't worry about him anymore, finding. Okay. Uh, all right, there's our highs and lows of round 12. Uh, now it's time to get nice and angry. On Footyology, the rant off. All right, long weekend. It's been a long weekend, finally. I've been interstate. I've been here, there, and everywhere. I'm a bit ha- tired, a bit cranky. Have you had a Barty party? Uh, no. In fact, I um, I was so knackered uh, after the footy on Saturday night, I missed the whole thing. But uh, it was great news to wake up to, in all seriousness, apart from that dickhead who tweeted me saying that uh, I didn't have the right to tweet about it because I hadn't seen every point. So, Well, the final was really, you know... It's pretty a bit of a letdown, but boy, that semi-final was that one strange and nerve-wracking game of tennis. Mm. No, well done, Ash. Uh, amazing achievement. Yep. However, um, we digress, funnily for us. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit tired and a bit cranky. And, uh, oh, that'll be good for, for this part of the program. Well, that's what I'm thinking, so uh, why don't you count me in and I'll let rip. <laughs> 
Three, two, crank. I'm pissed off with the AFL sense of priorities, Finey. What are they actually trying to run these days? A football competition or a school classroom? Take this bloody score review farce. Last round we had two absolute howlers while the school principal, sorry, I mean the league CEO, was taking a class excursion to China. This week it happens again while the teachers are worrying about stuff the classroom monitor could have dealt with. Seriously, we've had the score review system now for eight years and it's still a joke. That goal which was denied Jack Higgins on Friday night might be close to the worst blunder we've seen yet. That made it three shockers in a week or so. One because the guys looking at the footage didn't have access to the right replay. The other two because they did have the access to the right replay but just didn't think to actually look at it. Are you telling me that in eight years we still haven't been able to find a handful of people capable of pushing the right button on a video player? Actually, given some of the other things going on of late, that is very believable. All the while, the focus now seems to be on fans who dare give the umpires a bit of curry. Some cult bloke on Saturday got kicked out for calling Matthew Nichols a bald-headed flog. I mean, seriously? Just as well this isn't 10 years ago when Rex Hunt used to call Nichols the police commissioner Simon Overland, they would have had Rex removed from the commentary box. In fact, I think that did happen once. Next thing you know, the umps will be presented with bouquets instead of barbs when they're going down the race. And the person with the most impressive bunch of roses, as determined by school principal Mr McLaughlin, will get a gold star. That Carlton fan is in big trouble, Finey. He not only had to go and see his year-level coordinator, he's now got detention and bin duty for a whole term. This is some wacky sort of educational system the AFL is running. No one seems to care whether the teachers are marking the papers correctly as long as the kids are watching their P's and Q's. You could even make a film out of it. Remember Jack Black in School of Rock? How about a follow-up with Gil McLaughlin in the lead role called School of Croc? Well, you mean Croc of not Croc Media. No, I don't mean that. Okay. <laughs> no, I meant C-R-O-C-K. Oh, seriously. I mean, you know, I, I don't like it when people go on about, it's PC gone mad. But this funny really is PC gone mad. Have you seen the cheer squads, the dossier, the manifesto that they carry around with them, the, the rules under which they yeah. are allowed to exist? Yeah, well, there's actually a news story as we speak. Um, there is a news story, I saw it tonight on the Herald Sun website, the Richmond Cheer Squad has um, put in a submission to the AFL asking for an official list of insults that they are allowed to use towards umpires. I mean, where does it end, Farney? Yes, it is political correctness gone mad. All right, I'm going to count you in. Three, two, one. Rant. Not dissimilar and somewhat connected to your particular rant is my rant this very evening, but I take a different tack. We are in the midst of the great negativity in media, are we not? I mean, have a look at the different stakeholders that make up our game. The AFL, according to most, are inept certainly you believe so, incompetent, incapable of running the game. Because the game, if you are led to believe everything you read and hear, is in a terrible state. There's not enough scoring, there's not enough play on, there's not enough marks, there's not enough everything that's good, but there's too much of everything that's bad. The score review is in tatters, the match review officer can't seem to agree with himself. In fact, the AFL's running of the game, if you believe all the articles and all the talkback, is as incompetent as it has ever been. Umpiring terrible, worst it's ever been. The players, well, they're just selfish miscreants 
and always have been, aren't they? To be honest, not much has gone wrong with the players this year, but we certainly highlight those minor problems that do occur. Stephen May has been hung out to dry. He returned this weekend to play football, but of course his crime of being overweight and then having a drink were blown out of proportion. Daisy Thomas, I mean, Mark Robinson must have been chafing at the bit for somebody to aim his vitriol at because he claimed that three wines was worthy of Carlton saying to Daisy Thomas, your career is over and sacking him on the spot. As for the fans, they've been fighting in the stands since round one booing the champs, which is unacceptable. Cheer squads have been attacking the umpires, as pointed out by you, Roko. Basically, us fans are nothing but swill. There's racist jibes coming from the outer. I mean, that is unacceptable, but that's from one or two. How about the other million of us? So if you'd have believed the media, the fans are ratbags and swill, the AFL grossly incompetent, and the players self-serving, money-hungry brats. Which brings me to the freeze at the G. It must have been a spectacular failure. I imagine no fans turned up or bought the beanies. I imagine no players would have supported it. They're too selfish to do so. And I imagine the AFL would have run it incompetently as some sort of sideshow out the back of the southern stand. Now it must have been a bloody disaster today. Ah, yes. No, I think a point very effectively made. Of course, you are being sarcastic. It was a magnificent success. So there is a lot of good left in the game. Thanks to the fans, the AFL and the ex-players. We do tend to dwell on the negative a little too much. Except on footyology, Finey. No, we do it a bit too. Uh, I'd like to think we do it less than others, however. That being said, the the score review is in tatters. They're yeah. going to go the bunker. Well, they are going to go the bunker. From the Second World War with Clink and well, Schultz. Well, as I think I said on last week's podcast, I'd like to see a story about the bunker which actually bothers explaining what is in the bunker rather than just saying, oh, they're going to the bunker. You know, like it could be a sand trap and a golf course. I want to know what's in the bunker and how it actually works. All right. That's enough for this week. There's our review of round 12 done and dusted. And, uh, of course, not long to go before round 13 starts. So uh, digest this podcast. Digest this podcast and you will have another one before you can say footyology. Finally, you're pointing at me like you really want to say something. Also digested Andrew's hamburgers because they're bloody beautiful from 144 Bridport Street. Get around like all good classy renovated house owners do with Nick Spartels and Hardwick Builders. Co. Yep. Oh, Nicky's a Carlton supporter and he'll finally be smiling, but he was interstate. He said, I'm going away this weekend. So oh. he actually missed it, unfortunately. Bad luck, Nick. And uh, remember our competition too. We'll, we'll be announcing the winners of our latest competition on Thursday. You've still got 24 hours or so to get your entries in. Who, who, who would you send down the slide? Yep. And what might you dress them in just for a bit of extra adornment? All right. Thanks for your company. What song are we finishing with? Well, I've predetermined this one, Finey. Of course, I made an analogy with School of Rock. One of my very favourite films, of course, Jack Black. Uh, leading is uh, a, a, a bit of a loose cannon, but he gets a, a, a pack of privileged school kids who learn music to uh, become a school rock band. And, of course, they um, seize the world, basically. And what's the best scene in school rock? Undoubtedly is when they're coming back from that excursion on the bus and Jack Black is introducing them to the wonders of Led Zeppelin and the Immigrant Song, one of my favourite songs. We're going to go out with it. 
We'll see you on Thursday.